Global warming, climate change, two terms that stir discussion and emotions among those who foretell Armageddon and those who think it's all hype. Whether you acknowledge change and regardless of what you might see as a reason for change, one thing that's not disputed is that episodes of extreme weather are becoming more commonplace. And that will affect how farmers farm and ultimately the food supply. Today, we're going to talk severe weather and its effect on food production on Town Hall, Ohio. This is Town Hall, Ohio, home to interesting people, engaging issues, and enlightening stories. Town Hall, Ohio is a production of the Ohio Farm Bureau Federation, working to forge a partnership between farmers and consumers, and is supported by Nationwide. Nationwide is on your side. Now, here's Town Hall, Ohio host, Joe Corneli. A couple of weeks back, members of the Soil and Water Conservation Society of Ohio gathered for a meeting that was titled, Adapting Agriculture to Extreme Weather. The society is made up mostly of professionals from soil and water districts, OSU Extension, USDA, and others who work with farmers to preserve natural resources while farming profitably. One of the organizers of the meeting was Jim Jim Horman. Jim is Extension Educator up in Mercer County, and he talked to me about the purpose of this meeting. This meeting is on adapting agriculture to extreme weather. Um, you know, the last couple of years we've had some, uh, we've had drought and we've had uh, excessive rain. Uh, and so what we're doing is we're uh, looking at all our resources and how we can maybe adapt our farming practices to uh, uh, be able to survive under those conditions. We're expecting a lot more variation in, in weather and, and even in climate as, as uh, time goes on. I notice in the title that it's adapting agriculture to weather extremes. No mention of global warming, no mention of climate change. That was probably intentional. Uh, Yeah, um, generally when we say climate change, farmers tend to get their backs up a little bit don't want to don't want to talk about climate change but most farmers will talk about weather and uh, actually uh, extreme weather is just uh, a part of that so we emphasize the weather how can you adapt to if it's going to be dry or if it's going to be excessively wet what can we do to to uh, increase your yields and the good news is actually uh, with this global warming we're looking at possibly more rain rain makes grain so could see an increase of 20% in yields over the next uh, uh, couple of decades. Extension educator Jim Herman. Jim will be back with us later to talk about some of the changes that farmers might make to adapt to extreme weather. But first, we want to take a look at the latest episode of extreme weather, the drought of 2012. Jeff Rogers is Ohio's state climatologist. He's got some interesting insight into a few of the longer-term weather changes that Ohio is going through and may go through in the future. But to start, we did ask about last summer's drought and what we might know about the outlook for 2013. The drought of 2012 was uh, quite disastrous in terms of corn production. I've understood from um, experts that we're down about a third from a normal year. However, soybeans, which aren't uh, quite so dependent on um, rain and the timing of rain, uh, fared a lot better. Overall, though, um, we've uh, recovered from the drought pretty much throughout the autumn and winter, and uh, we've got a fighting chance for a pretty good start to the growing season. It's hard to say whether we'll be hit by drought again or not, uh, because 
even though it's wet and we've recovered, that's very fortunate, but it's no predictor, no predictor of uh, what might happen in the spring and the upcoming summer. So we'll just have to wait and see what evolves into uh, maybe the month of April or so. As you watched um, 2012 outside of the agricultural implications for the crops, and of course we had you know livestock concerns because of the hay and the pastures and such, but, mm -hmm. but were there other areas of Ohio, other areas of uh, commerce perhaps uh, that were affected much? The other areas that are affected were by some of the um, high temperatures that we had that preceded the drought in spring. The uh, very, very warm month of March led to um, cold waves in April. And these wiped out a lot of uh, crops like apples and berries and things like that in, um, in the spring right away. But um, overall, it's mostly been in the forage, in the corn, and uh, to a lesser degree in soybeans. So you said we need to kind of look ahead to April to start getting a little bit of a sense for, um, for what 2013 might look like. What, what are you going to be watching? I mean, other than just, does it rain? No, <laughs> actually, uh, we don't watch too much more than that. Um, usually, if it's uh, there's a good tendency that if it's wet in April and May, then the summer will stay wet. So uh, those are the kind of things that uh, that I watch. It's uh, there there might be some temperature effects, but it's more important just to see how how rainy it is in the springtime. At this conference where you and I visited, uh, you were talking a little bit longer term as well, not just the immediacy of last year's drought and what will happen in the coming year, but what are you seeing trend-wise in terms of temperature precipitation in Ohio over a longer term? Um, longer term precipitation in Ohio is going up currently. Uh, we used to average about a century ago 37 inches of rain every year, and now we're, we're at, up, at about 40 inches. So we've had an increase of over three degree, three uh, sorry inches of rain in um, the century. This is occurring in every season except winter, and um, so it's occurring in summer and autumn, for example. And those are the seasons where we get a lot of evaporated water uh, from uh, Ohio and from other states, drawn in and lifted into clouds and precipitation by storm systems. So we seem to be maintaining a level of storminess that uh, is very conducive to putting a lot of water on the Earth's surface, uh, recognizing that the tendency over much of the planet is for drying. As the, as the temperature of the planet goes up, most of the surfaces of the Earth will dry out. But Ohio is currently a place where a lot of the water is being returned. So we're, uh, we're benefiting, we're staying we're staying up on the precipitation. Why is that? Why, why are we the, the lucky spot? Uh, we're the lucky spot because we're the spot that has traditionally been a little bit cloudier in a lot of the months of the year, a little bit stormier. So uh, many of the storms in the country um, start out in the plains or start up in Canada, but they don't really start kicking up a lot of lifting in cloud and precipitation until they get into the eastern United States. So as long as these storms continue to be active over North America, we'll uh, benefit from them. Again, we're, we're uh, taking moisture that's evaporating from other places, and it's, it's now raining here. And uh, we'll see what happens because um, the long-term prediction with global warming is, is, is really there's going to be drying out eventually. But, but it's not happening yet. What about temperature-wise here in Ohio? 
temperatures are going up in every season. The uh, season that's warming the most is springtime, where there's been about a degree and a half over the last century. It, annually, we're warmed, we've warmed about one degree Fahrenheit in uh, 100 years. So uh, temperatures are going up. The springs are most notably warming. And again, it's led to some of these events like heat waves in March that are followed by a fairly seasonally normal cold wave in April that wipes out all the budding uh, crop growth that normally would have never uh, started back in March. But, uh, yeah, that, that kind of uh, agricultural problem is becoming more prevalent in Ohio. Every time I talk about weather and weather extremes, uh, I always offer the speaker the opportunity to either answer or, or decline. Uh, what's causing all this? Why, why are we wetter and warmer? Well, it, it's uh, certainly the increase in greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Carbon dioxide has gone up uh, over 20% in the last uh, 30 and 40 years. These gases will trap heat near the Earth's surface and keep it in the lower atmosphere, make it warm up. And with the warming, you get more evaporation, which leads to more precipitation, currently at least. So, so we're definitely looking at global warming. Um, a lot of people would like to say, well, I don't know whether I believe it's humans or not. We, we can leave that out of the equation. I think a lot of people now will at least agree that um, the climate is definitely warming and it is getting a lot wetter in Ohio. That's Jeff Rogers. He's the state climatologist for Ohio. Another of the speakers at the meeting on adapting agriculture to extreme weather was Dr. Lonnie Thompson of The Ohio State University. Thompson is a distinguished university professor in the School of Earth Sciences and a research scientist in the Bird Polar Research Center at Ohio State. He is recognized by many as the world leader in ice core paleoclimatology. Now, Lonnie will explain what that means in plain English in a minute. But Thompson has published over 185 peer-reviewed publications, including several in the journal Science. He's led some 54 field programs, been funded by the National Science Foundation, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association, and NASA. Lonnie's been recognized with honors and awards uh, more than we can name, including the National Medal of Science. Now, I tell you all that to tell you this, Lonnie Thompson knows what he's talking about. And he's going to share a few thoughts both on the science and politics of climate change. But to start, I did ask him to explain for us just exactly what it is he does. We study the climate of the Earth as it's recorded in glaciers around the world. So we've uh, worked in 16 different countries, Antarctica, Greenland, looking at the past, getting a long-term perspective of the climate of the planet. Okay, I picture you drilling a hole and taking out some kind of a core sample. Is that what you do, and, and, and how do you look at that and then understand what's happened with the climate? It's exactly what we do. We, we drill and we bring the cores back, and we have over 7,000 meters stored over at Ohio State University in our cold rooms. And we examine those cores to look at annual variations in temperatures and precipitation, uh, in dust. Uh, uh, anything that's in the atmosphere is recorded and preserved in that ice, and it can be reinterpreted, and we can look at what was going on 1,000, 2,000, 10,000 years ago. So getting that perspective on where we are in the 21st century is very important. And what are you learning? Uh, what, what's going on with our climate based on your studies uh, here in, in the last century or so? Well, uh, certainly the, the Earth is warming, and uh, we know that because we look in so many different parts 
uh, of the world at, at the records. And with that warming, of course, the glaciers are melting. And when you look at a glacier, all that is is water. It's frozen water on land. And when it melts, it makes its way through the rivers and ultimately into the oceans of the world and uh, contributes to sea level rise, which we are now measuring occurring around the, around the planet. What are some of the other implications uh, besides the sea level rise, or extend that? What, what does that mean to us as, as a civilization? Well, as a civilization, you, you know, the, what really makes our time so different than in the past is we've never had over 7 billion people living on the planet. And unfortunately, a lot of our cities and our infrastructures have been, been built along the coast. Uh, in our history of development using sailing ships, I mean, that was a natural place to build cities. And so those cities and all that infrastructure suddenly become at risk uh, as the earth gets warmer and these glaciers melt. So how much blowback do you come across as you talk about what your findings are? Uh, uh, depending upon who you ask, there, there seems to be controversy as to whether or not the globe is actually warming and even more controversy over what's causing it. Well, that, that's why the long-term perspective is so important. Uh, and the ice preserves so many different things. Uh, you know, one of the big concerns today is greenhouse gases, what's happening to CO2 and methane and nitrous oxide. Well, in the bubbles in the ice, is stored the history of those gases in our atmosphere. So we have records now going back 800,000 years where we can look at CO2, how did it vary, and how is it different today? And that perspective becomes extremely important. One of the top climate change scientists in the world, Lonnie Thompson of Ohio State. He'll be back with us next on Town Hall Ohio. Because I'm the weather man. I am predicting. We welcome back Lonnie Thompson of The Ohio State University, one of the world's top researchers in the area of climate. Now, Thompson can measure climate specifics across tens of thousands of years by looking at core samples drawn from the world's glaciers. He's been doing it for a long time. Of course, this whole topic of global warming or climate change is not just a scientific topic. It is a political one as well. Uh, I think that uh, glaciers in some ways are probably the most direct indicator of change uh, because uh, it's hard to argue that a glacier has some type of a political agenda. Uh, it just sums up what's going on in its environment and it reacts to it. And in today's world, they're retreating. And, and so, so they're a pretty uh, clear indicator of change taking place on the planet. Do you get into, um, beyond measuring what's happening, suggesting how to reverse it or, is, or if it's even reversible? We look into how, yeah, there's a problem. And then what do, what do you do about that? Well, there's a lot of things we as individuals can do. Uh, uh, things like uh, the type of lighting we choose to use. Uh, there's a lot of new technology, LED lighting. We don't need as much energy. Still have the same light. Uh, our automobiles, uh, uh, in the big scheme of things, they're getting smaller. They're getting more efficient. Uh, we still get to go from A to B. Uh, we just do it more efficiently. Uh, there are uh, changes in, in uh, uh, the way uh, uh, we go about our everyday life. Uh, uh, it takes a lot more energy to grow uh, 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 cattle and, uh, uh, and grow 
any sources of meat products. Uh, by changing our eating habits, we can move down on the food change and, uh, 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 and reduce the amount of energy that's required to feed uh, the 7 billion of us living on this planet. So there, there are a lot of things that we can do uh, individually but there are big things that have to, uh, have to take place, and those are the big challenging things. You know, CO2 is increasing uh, not only because of what's going on in the U.S., but what's going on in China and India as these other countries come online. So uh, we have to work together uh, to solve this problem. Otherwise, it will not be solved. I, I'm visiting with you at the Ohio Department of Agriculture. You, uh, you work at the Ohio State University, but... Uh, uh, you are world-renowned, probably one of the leading experts a- across the globe in this arena. Uh, how do you, as a scientist, uh, view the, the politicization of this, of this discussion? How do you react when it becomes a, a political issue as opposed to uh, a, a discussion of science? Well, I, I think that's unfortunate because this is a human issue. It doesn't matter whether you're a de- Democrat or a Republican. Uh, It's a matter of chemistry and physics of how our uh, climate system works. And uh, and so I think it's very unfortunate. Uh, But that that being said, at the end of the day, we will deal with this issue because we'll have to as human beings, not as political beings, but as human beings living on on the planet. And uh, I have great faith that uh, when we come to that point that we will do the right thing. And uh, so I I think uh, it's unfortunate where we are right now, but I think uh, that is changing, and uh, probably because of uh, climate itself, the weather impacts, the extremes that we are seeing, uh, particularly here in the U.S., but around the world uh, in the last uh, 20 years, and, and those extremes are growing. And people react to what's happening to them in their own backyard. And so when people see things, and they react to it. So I think that climate change is now coming on the time scale that we as people react to. And so we'll, we'll start to see changes in this arena. World-renowned paleoclimatologist Lonnie Thompson of Ohio State, who was a speaker at a recent meeting that was titled Adapting Agriculture to Weather Extremes. And that theme is where we're headed right now. Back with us is conference chairman and extension educator Jim Horman. Jim and I talked about some of the practical impacts on farmers of weather extremes, beginning with the changes in rainfall in Ohio. So one of the things that we're we're seeing with the the rainfall events is that we're going to have more intense rains. So instead of half-inch, one-inch rains, we could have two, three, four-inch rains. So uh, much more intensity. Uh, probably much more variability. We may have periods of drought followed by periods of excessive rain or may change from year to year. Just like uh, 2011 was uh, extremely wet, we had twice as much precipitation. 2012, we we had a drought. So uh, we're going to see what what, uh, farmers may not realize is that the last 50 years were actually uh, quite unusual in the fact that there wasn't as much variation as you look over the last several uh, uh, centuries. Uh, the next 50 years, they're expecting a lot more variation, and so we're going to see a lot more extremes. Let's talk temperature, both mm-hmm. ambient temperature and soil temperature, which is okay. which is being affected. Uh, as you look at the temperature, um, probably uh, uh, in the summers, we're going to expect 
that we may not see so much higher temperatures, but the nighttime temperature is expected to be much warmer. Uh, in the winter, uh, all seasons, we're expecting the overall temperature to increase by a couple degrees. So right now we're at 59 degrees is the average temperature for the whole year. Uh, that's up from about, uh, you know, from several degrees. It's, it's been increasing uh, as we go along. So the other thing will be uh, water. Uh, we're going to see more moisture in the uh, summer, especially June, July, uh, and August. That is beneficial to agriculture. Uh, overall, that should be beneficial. You know, 2011, we had a very dry year, and, or a very wet year, I'm, excuse me. 2011 was a very wet year, and uh, we didn't get plant, got corn planted till June, and we had excellent yields pretty much statewide, over 200 bushel. That was because we had rain in June, July, and August. We'll hear more about how extreme weather can affect food production in our state when we continue on Town Hall, Ohio. Weather extremes are becoming more prevalent. For example, 2011 was one of the wetter years we've had in a long time, but 2012 was one of the drier. These extremes are going to impact anybody who grows anything, from your yard and garden to the farmers producing the world's food supply. Extension educator Jim Horman is back to talk about some of the practical implications of these changing weather patterns. I ask him what might be different in terms of pests and diseases that affect crops. We expect that there'll probably be more molds, uh, more allergens, uh, there'll be more insects, more weed problems. As we warm the temperature up, um, you're, you're going to see some of the insects from the south start to move north. And you're also going to see more of the diseases. Anytime you increase the temperature and you increase moisture, uh, bugs and insects and, and pests in general tend to multiply. Weeds as well? Weeds as well. Uh, we're seeing new weeds, uh, you know, freezing and thawing and cold weather uh, does help reduce some of the weed seeds, but um, we're going to see probably more problems with that. Uh, it's just going to increase. They have a little bit longer to grow, a little bit more time to put on weed seed, and uh, so we could, we could see an increase in weed populations. You also make the point that this these weather changes uh, are going to impact the wildlife population, and, and farmers certainly appreciate that uh, wildlife can be a problem. We're seeing already um, the hardiness zones have moved up, and so we're also seeing that same effect on migration, hibernation. Uh, we may see the geese staying around a little bit longer, and, and uh, they already stay around most of the year, and, and so uh, you're going to see changes in wildlife as as as, uh, uh, as uh, the temperatures move up, or probably see some of the, uh, the wildlife that used to migrate further south will probably stay in our area much longer. Now, these changes may be new, different, mm-hmm. something we've never seen, but but farmers are used to adapting, and mm-hmm. they rely on folks like Extension to uh, to help them figure things out. So let let's walk through some of the things that that farmers might do to to adapt to 
uh, okay. different weather here in Ohio. Beginning on the agronomic side, uh, what kinds of management options might there be to help farmers cope with warmer, wetter weather? Well, one of the, the biggest things that you can do is just increase your organic matter in the soil. Uh, organic matter helps with water infiltration. It helps with storage. You know, every additional one inch of, of uh, organic matter can store as much as one to two inches of additional water per acre foot. Now, as you increase that uh, more and more, why well, it starts to go down, but you're still getting anywhere from a half to eight-tenths of an inch uh, once you have 5% organic matter in your soil per inch of, of soil and that can really help in a drought so what we're looking at is no-till and cover crops the cover crops increase the water infiltration uh, water storage they also uh, help us to uh, uh, increase uh, uh, soil productivity by storing a lot of more nutrients as we can get over a uh, um, thousand pounds of nitrogen stored with every one percent soil organic matter so uh, that will help our productivity of our soils what about on the uh mechanical side of things, equipment. Um, what adaptations might we see uh, coming down the pike? Well, a couple things. Um, farmers, as we see wetter springs and uh, uh, more variable weather, they, they tend to buy more equipment. And so we may need more help. We may have to have bigger equipment in order to get it done. Or the other option is, and what we're starting to see now, is we may actually go the other way. Because we have such big equipment, we're seeing a lot of soil compaction. And what the researchers are doing are working on robots, uh, tractors, and combines that will um, basically run by themselves and we may have smaller units and just have multiple units of those rather than one big combine we may have four or five or six smaller units and the, the other advantage of that is they can run night and day as long as somebody's there to help fill them up with seed or or fuel or fertilizer whatever they need so a lot of a lot of things like that that are coming down now, as a guy that's still waiting on my james bond jet pack <laughs> How far down the uh, the pike are we? Uh, I know you don't think we're. Th- this isn't something that my grandkids might uh, might be engaged with. This is coming. Uh, there's also there's research right now at OSU. Uh, they already have tractors that run themselves. So we already have combines that they're working on. So uh, I would give it just a couple years. Will it become commonplace? You know, it might take. 10, 15, 20, 30 years, but it is coming. And so we're going to be seeing that change. The other thing that farmers might see a change in is as we get a longer growing season, uh, how can I affect my corn maturities and my soybean maturities? And uh, research from Ohio State shows that uh, really, we can get the same yield from a short maturity as we do from long. It all depends on the rainfall. How can I use that to my advantage? Maybe I plant a shorter maturity one, and then I follow it with cover crops so that I can add more carbon to my soil, and I can protect that soil during these extreme rainfall events. That's our biggest problem is that our soil is not protected. We'll learn more about how weather extremes may change the way we farm in Ohio and how farmers will continue to put food on our plates despite these weather changes as we continue our visit with Jim Horman next on Town Hall Ohio. My own father worked a 12-hour day From sunup to sundown With wheat, corn, and hay 
I worked right beside him and I learned from his ways. He taught me to sweat and he taught me to pray. We welcome you back to Town Hall, Ohio, where today we are talking about how weather extremes will impact food production. The trend in Ohio, as we've learned, is wetter and warmer. That's going to force farmers to adapt by using different seeds, new kinds of equipment. Jim Harmon is an extension educator up in Mercer County. He's back with us to talk about another change on Ohio farms, the management of water. Ohio now is one of the top states in the nation in terms of our drainage systems in farm fields around the state. But as far as irrigation, it's not that prevalent here. But Jim says that could be changing. It could be as we get, uh, if the corn prices and soybean prices stay up, grain prices stay up, that's going to, uh, farmers are already seeing the benefit of having an additional couple inches of rain in the summer. If we have a drought, uh, it may pay to do that. We don't know where that's all going to go, but a lot of research being done at Ohio State with sub-irrigation using the existing tile line to hold back water rather than letting it all out so we can use uh, control structures to hold that water back. That also helps to treat it, so that improves our water quality also. So there's a lot of things here that we're going to be linking together, uh, a whole system of approaches that will work together to improve the environment and also increase our yields. Yeah, improve the environment and increase yields. You talked about that, not only farmers adapting to the changes, but being a part of mitigating those changes. Speak a little bit about how some of the things that farmers are doing in terms of what equipment they buy and the seeds they select and and, and the way they manage all that, how that may help mitigate this these these weather extremes in the future well agriculture benefits from having high carbon dioxide in the atmosphere but uh, if we grow more crops if we're growing corn and soybeans and we follow that with a cover crop we can actually double the amount of carbon dioxide that we're taking out of the atmosphere and putting it into the roots Uh, research at ohio state shows that 65 to 70 percent of the carbon in the soil comes from existing roots so if we double the amount of crops that we're growing we can actually double the amount of carbon going into the soil, and we can actually build soil organic matter quite quickly. And so there's farmers could potentially be paid to take carbon out of the atmosphere and to put it into the soil if, if it comes to that. But even if we don't get paid, it's very beneficial for a farmer to add carbon to their soils. You know, any farmer knows this. The best farms are the ones that have the most soil organic matter, and those produce the best crops. And during a drought or even during wet periods, those those are the uh, fields that give us the highest yield. Back up a couple things I missed. Uh, in terms of coping with the changes, uh, maybe some thoughts on how the livestock sector in Ohio is is, is going to be uh, going to be affected. Besides the, the, the changes to crops, uh, animal owners, uh, they're going to have to cope with this. Uh, we expect to see a few more parasites. Um, we're also going to see uh, if we have a little bit warmer winters, uh, we, the heating costs and some of the effects on the cattle may not be quite as severe, so that's that's actually a benefit. On the downside, um, we're actually probably going to see uh, uh, some of the forages are probably going to be a little bit longer growing, tend to have a little bit more lignin in it, so the digestibility may go down, protein content may go down, and the nitrogen content may go down. So uh, it, there is some effects there on livestock. Some of that we're still exploring. We're still trying to figure out what's going to happen, but uh, more effects 
effects probably on plants uh, right now than than livestock, but there are some uh, effects also on, on grain storage. We're expecting that to be a major problem. Was we get more insects and molds and diseases that's supposed to really flourish. Anytime you increase the temperature, you increase the moisture, you almost double the amount of of uh, pest problems that you have. And one other point, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the. Uh, the technology mm-hmm. that's going to help us uh, comment on a little bit. Uh, I, I've had reporters call me and ask about the drought of 2012. Okay. And, and I say, uh, you know, the amazing thing about the drought of 2012, it's the worst drought we've had in 50 years. Food prices did not shoot through the roof, and farmers didn't go bankrupt en masse. Uh, we can cope with weather extremes a whole lot better. Talk a little bit about seed technology and how it may play in this in this whole adaptation arena. Well, we've we've really worked on uh, seeds, the genetics in seeds. Um, probably the biggest thing is the stalk quality has greatly increased. Uh, we have uh, much higher seed populations on corn, and it can tolerate uh, some of this dry weather. We have some safeguards built in. So even though we had an extremely dry summer. Um, maybe we got some rain at just a critical time, but, but most of the corn actually uh, responded quite favorably, and, and we got much higher yields than we expected off of our corn. So uh, researchers are working to get a lot of these uh, um, beneficial traits into the corn, and, and that should help us to weather some of these uh, more extreme uh, conditions. Ohio State's Jim Horman with a look at the agronomics of dealing with extreme weather. Next up on Town Hall Ohio, we'll talk about extreme weather and the economics. It hasn't been this hot in a long time, not since the 16th century, when there were no evil SUVs. Stop We are back talking today on Town Hall Ohio with some of the speakers at a recent conference that was entitled Adapting Agriculture to Extreme Weather. What we've learned on the show so far today, weather extremes are here. They're going to become more pronounced, and we've learned that farmers are going to have to adapt with different biotechnology, with new mechanical technology, with better management practices. But the bottom line for most of us, in spite of all that, we're still going to get fed. To close out the show, we're going to broaden the subject just a little bit by visiting with Brent Sanjan. He's a professor of environmental economics at The Ohio State University. Given the weather changes that are coming, I asked Mr. Sanjan about the overall economy of Ohio and how it's going to be affected. You know, Ohio, uh, its economy is amazingly separated from the climate. So one wouldn't expect that actual climate change would have a a negative impact actually on the broader Ohio economy. You know, the main way, uh, you know, climate change would affect the Ohio economy uh, in general would be through uh, climate change legislation, frankly. You know, so the industries we have in Ohio are heavily uh, tilted towards those that emit a lot of carbon dioxide. So things that could 
Uh, so if we were to go down the road of having new legislation and things that would try to reduce the amount of carbon dioxide emissions, those could affect Ohio industries. Those have a bigger effect than, than climate change itself. You know, that's the amazing thing. You know, Ohio, being a large industrial state, moving more towards a service economy at the time and not towards an economy that's more you know, climate-related, uh, just won't be heavily affected by climate change. I assume you've explored some of the implications then of climate change policy. Uh, if the weather is not going to hurt us, how we respond to it could. Uh, what industries impacted in what way? Well, that's interesting as well. It's, it's hard, you know, 10 years ago, no one knew that fracking would come along and would create this, uh, you know, new source of energy in Ohio where we could potentially convert large amounts of our coal-fired power plants uh, towards natural gas-fired power plants. And any, you know, you can roughly think of that as each unit of energy produced with natural gas versus coal reduces the carbon emissions by half. So it has a big impact on our carbon emissions. You know, Ohio likely following trends as we continue to move down the fracking road will reduce its carbon emissions just as a result of that and potentially pretty dramatically other big things affecting ohio on a positive way uh, are you know these energy emission uh, these uh, cafe standards for automobiles so the push towards improved auto efficiency you know benefits ohio because we are still a big automobile producer we have you know a number of large manufacturing facilities in the state they're going to be producing those more fuel efficient cars uh, and that's going to also reduce our energy emissions so, you know, Ohio actually is probably on the road towards becoming a much more sort of carbon-friendly state in terms of its emissions, uh, and it's the kinds of things that actually could benefit us, uh, Ohio, in the long run, um, you know, given that, you know, we'll have regulations that suggest more fuel-efficient cars, and Ohio probably actually produce a number of those. Any negative consequences? Because right now you're painting a, a fairly rosy picture for the state. You know, because of the way we're doing the regulations right now. You know, if you notice this move from, you know, coal-fired power plants towards natural gas power plants, is not driven by regulation. It's actually driven mainly by just economic. You know, as long as, you know, most of these things are pushed along by, you know, economic forces rather than sort of government forces propelling them forward, then I think we're in, in, in reasonably good shape. Now, the CAFE standards are being pushed forward um, a good bit by government. That was It's been an initiative of the Obama administration, uh, and it hasn't had a negative impact, largely because there are a lot of efficiency gains that have been made in the automobile sector in the last decade, uh, and we're basically taking advantage of those right now. It doesn't look near as expensive to move towards higher fuel-efficient cars now as it did 10 or 15 years ago. So actually, you know, those kinds of things aren't that costly either. So it seems like the things we're actually doing that are moving us to more you know, carbon-friendly territory now actually aren't that expensive. And to close, Brent offered this bit of perspective. You know, in the Ohio agricultural industry, thinking of the huge changes we actually have made under a pretty stable climate. So we think of this massive set of changes that our industry in Ohio in agriculture has undergone. In 1910, no one thought of soybeans, right? No one thought that we'd be growing soybeans in Ohio. No one even considered that. As we look forward with climate change, there probably are some things we'll be growing here in the next 40 to 50 years that we would not have thought about. And that's going to be a fact with climate change. Uh, but it's probably not a bad fact because, as we know, you know, land values in the state of Ohio have risen dramatically, you know, 2% per year over a, dec over a century. Uh, and we'll probably see that continue with climate change. All the evidence suggests we will. Uh, and that's just a fact of life we're going to have to get used to, and we probably shouldn't be too concerned about that kind of change. And on that optimistic note from Brent Sanjan at Ohio State, we close out this week's Town Hall Ohio. Town Hall Ohio is a project of the Ohio Farm Bureau Federation and is brought to you with the support of Nationwide. Nationwide is on your side. Join us again next week for Town Hall Ohio.